They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. And I'm, I'm Joe Jeff McGarry. Baldo. We are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. What's Joe, that? guess what? Across my feed earlier this week, I saw that it was our seventh Facebook friend anniversary. Oh, so thank you, Jeff, and uh, happy anniversary to you, too. And and unlike uh, a lot of my Facebook friends, well, not a lot, but um, some of my Facebook friends, you know, that, that really signifies, I think, our getting to know each other. I think we first were introduced via Facebook and then got to know each other in person. So That's right. So, wow, that's pretty neat. I feel like I've known you longer than that, though. I know, right? <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> maybe maybe it's me. Oh, <laughs> uh, funny. Anyway, uh, we were talking earlier. Um, I was working on um, the Sunday is coming for Sunday, the 3rd of June. And one of the things that struck me about that passage, which will have it'll it will have already been the Sunday that it's on when this goes to to air, but was that the the story was about the Pharisees questioning Jesus why he was doing the stuff he was doing on the Sabbath, and it made me just think that, you know, if you start with the wrong question, you're gonna get the wrong answer. Rather than saying who is this Jesus, what is he up to, what can we learn from him, uh, you know, what is he revealing? I mean, we ask these questions as people who follow Jesus, but they were like. I know what he's doing is wrong. I'm just not sure why. So let's ask him about it. <laughs> right, right. Yep. And it just got me thinking a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the things we do in the church a lot of times. We just ask the wrong question. It's not that we're bad people or that we're, you know, on the wrong track. It's just we we sometimes miss the important thing by focusing on the wrong thing. And if we focus on the wrong thing, we're going to end up going in the wrong direction. When we do read about some of the interactions between the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus, it is they're trying to trap Jesus in some of these questions. And and most of the time, when Jesus responds to them, he asks them a more appropriate question, or he tells a story, or gives an example, a parable, or something like that that helps uh, describe the situation and kind of bring it back to the main focus of what really the conversation is about. So. But I, I agree, you know, in, as a church, we do ask a lot of questions, but they don't necessarily seem to be the questions that are most helpful to uh, us as a church and, and as pastors and as a people of God to further the mission of Christ rather than trying to, I don't know, I want to say maybe even blame someone as far as why something might not be working the way it should be. Yeah, exactly. So I was working on this a little bit. I kind of came up with a few questions, and you were really helpful in kind of thinking about that. So we're just going to share them with you all. And uh, I've got 10 of them here in front of me, and we'll just kind of talk about each one and maybe uh, what we could ask instead or what a, a different direction might be to go. So Sure. So maybe first I'll just read through the 10 questions as the way to set it up. And okay. And we can and then we can talk about each one. That way people know what they're in for. So the first question that we get wrong is, how do we survive? Second question, why don't we have X, Y, or Z? Three, why aren't we like that church over there? Four, why should we change? Five, shouldn't the church just take care of its own? Six, who moved my cheese, if you've ever read that little That's thing. a good one, yeah. Yeah. Seven, what about the wallpaper? Eight, why can't we all just get along? Nine, why is the church being, quote, political, quote? And shouldn't somebody else do that? Nice. Now, some of these questions are related to each other, certainly, but uh, maybe we can just start it off from the top. So, Joe, why do you think how do we survive is the wrong question? Well, I mean— reason that is the wrong question is it comes from a scarcity mindset. 
And right. it, we, when we say, how do we survive? It means how can we do the bare minimum just to get by? And it's really not seeing the abundance that's in front of us. And it, it also indicates that, that people think that the church is the only organization that truly exists. So why should we survive or how do we survive is, is asking, well, you know, we are the most important thing here, so we need to be able to survive for whatever reason. But really, I, I think a good question is, instead of how do we survive, is how do we utilize the gifts that God has blessed us with, the abundance that we do have, instead of looking at all of the things that, that we may not have. You know, for example, we may not have a, a lot of children and and in our worship, but we do have a lot of folks that might be older that have a lot of wisdom that they can share. So, you know, instead of seeing what we don't have um, and saying, well, the church is dying because we don't have a lot of kids, or how do we survive because we don't have a lot of kids, um, you know, asking, looking and seeing what abundance has God blessed us with and how can we utilize that um, in in our ministry? I think that's so helpful because I think even the big, huge churches always think they don't have enough. Yeah. And the the reality is, especially if you have ever read the book of Acts, you realize it's it's just a bunch of guys with a message at the beginning. <laughs> right, right. They don't have uh, a big bankroll. They don't have any property. They don't have staff. They don't have... Um, an outreach budget. They don't have a $54 million jet. They don't have, you just go right up and down. The, they don't have a children's ministry program. You know what I mean? They don't have any of that. Right. Stuff. Right. They, they, they just have this conviction that having known Jesus changes the world, you know, having centered that message in his life and death and resurrection that, that it really can change people and the way we live in the world too. Right, right. So they just they just got to it. So maybe rather than focusing on um, survival, I mean, if if our if our calling is really about death and resurrection, or even just about resurrection, what are we trying to survive for? What what's the point? I mean, that's you can exist and not do anything. The the, the purpose of your church, you know, finding out what is your mission, what is your vision for ministry. Uh, and that we announced right. this, um, you know, via our Facebook and, and, and website, but I don't think we've officially talked about it here, is is I'm changing calls soon. Um, and I'm leaving uh, Faith Lutheran Church in Gardner and going to Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Kensington, Connecticut. And this is a redevelopment opportunity for me, which I am really excited about. And one of the reasons why I'm excited is I, I think one of the things that I really enjoy doing is is talking with churches about their vision. What is God calling this particular congregation to do in the world? And for this redevelopment, uh, we are starting basically from scratch saying, you know, they, they, they are in survival mode right right now. They are looking at around them and seeing that there are not enough people in church, there are not enough bodies to, to really do the work that God is calling them to do. And, and one of the things I asked is, what is God calling this church to do? And they weren't really sure. So how do we survive? Well, first we need to figure out what God is calling us to do, and then we need to put the things in place that will enable us to do that. So when we don't know how we're going to survive, maybe it's it's a, a, a sign saying, well, we really don't know what the purpose of this church is, and that's where we need to start to to figure out. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is, I mean, if you look at all of the churches that were communities in the New Testament, none of them are around anymore. Right. And... I don't know if that's a bad thing. I mean, now Christianity is a global enterprise that involves billions of people. So, you know, sometimes ministries have a lifespan, yeah, and that's okay. That is okay. I mean, I mean, our purpose is not to survive. Our purpose is to share about Jesus, and however it is we gather ourselves to to think about doing that in the place we're in. Yeah. Number number two, why don't we have X or Y or Z, Jeff? Why don't we have the big projector that has all the fancy slides on it? 
why don't we have all the resources that that church has? How do we, well, Joe, how do we it, deal with it, that? It's beca- it, Joe, I was meaning to talk to you about your um, annual giving. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> no, I think uh, this is very similar to the first question, but it's you're playing the comparison game, you know? So it's not about cultivating our own sense of calling or utilizing our own gifts or thinking about what God's calling us in particular to do. It's all about saying, well, if only we were like that or had that, then we could be successful. I used to joke around in my last church, which was a very traditional space, you know, built in the 1800s. And, uh, you know, we used it that way. But I always would joke joke around. I'm like, if you just got a smoke machine and a, a disco ball in here and a laser light show, man, we would have people coming out of a, out of our ears and they you know, would all laugh. They knew I was joking. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that is the joke, right? It's just, if we, if we had a smoke machine, then we'd really be doing something. No, it's not about a smoke machine. Right. And I, right. and if you have a smoke machine, one, I'm a little jealous, but two, it's also not what we're about. It's about how do we use the gifts we have with the people we have for the community we're in. Right, right. And that's an interesting uh, thing about that is uh, even in our own heads as pastors, we think about that, right? You know, uh, I see and I, uh, different churches, you know, movement kind of, at least here in New England is, in some churches is to get rid of those pews that are, you know, kind of nailed into the ground and instead have chairs so you have kind of a movable space. And I could think of two two churches now that, that have that set up and, and they utilize their space, you know, uh, for different events. You know, it's not just a sanctuary, it's a multi-purpose room. And I think, well, if I just had that, then we could do this, this, and this. So even as pastors, we think that. But doing that just because other churches are doing it or doing it just for the sake of doing it because you think it's the end thing to do, is not the reason to do it. If you were to go in that direction to say, well, we need to remove these pews and have a movable space because this is how it fits into our mission. This is how it fits into what we are doing here. When we are able to to articulate that, then it it really will help us, enable us to move forward. Yeah, again, more techie doesn't mean better or more modern doesn't mean better. It right. just means different. Yep. And, um, you know, that, the, all that stuff speaks to people. Absolutely. But there's other things that speak to other people, which is fine. If it was all the same, it'd be dull. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's one, not getting jealous of others, but it's also being grateful for what you have and, and using it to the best of, capability that that you can i mean that's that's really what it's about it's about mobilizing it's not about pining for things right right exactly exactly how about um number four we did kind of one two and three together here uh number four why should we change joe why should we change we like things just the way they are well if that's what you want because you are you (laughs) we'll do that (laughs) why should we change it's it's one of those all (laughs) It's one of those things, and I don't know where this saying came from, but it, you know, the sign of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Right. We have a long tradition in history as the Lutheran Church, 500 years of Lutheranism under our belts, and there are some who say that we should be doing the same thing as we did 500 years ago, and there are some places that do that, that are very successful in doing that. But as a whole, you know, our church is dying. And it's not just a Lutheran church, but many churches are dying. Christianity in general is, is not doing well. And there are so many of us that say, we should not change, we should do the same thing, and people should come into our space and be a part of us and do the things that we do, instead of saying, well, let's take a look at our neighborhoods. Let's take a look at our communities, and let's see how the world has changed the last 500 years, and and how do we adapt to that? Yeah, I think the other thing is that um, people are inundated with change in every other aspect of their lives. You know, we live in a different technological time. We live in a different political time. We live in a different geopolitical time, different economic time, you name it. 
just the way people relate to each other and the world. And it's uh, many, many challenges. And I think sometimes people think, well, at least the church is stable and that's not going to be swept out from underneath me too. Right. But the reality is, unless we do something to meet those needs or try to address how we're going to live in in the midst of those needs and challenges, um, we're just going to be irrelevant. I heard this story, and I, I don't know, if, did I hear from you about the the, the the pork and getting the the ends cut off. Did you sell that in a sermon recently? Say it again, and if and if I really like it, I'll say yeah. <laughs> There's this uh, family who's cooking this pork dinner, and I know this. I know the story. The mom who's cooking it, you know, is cooking it with her with her son, and she cuts off both ends and puts it in the pan and does what she needs to do and puts it in the oven. And her son asks her, "Mom, why did you cut off the ends?" And she said. I, you know that's the way my mom always did it. So let's let's call grandma and ask ask her and and so they they get grandma on the phone and and the mom asks grandma, you know, you know, we just had this pork and you know, I learned it from you and and you always cut off both ends and and I'm wondering why did you do that? And she said, "Well, you know, that's the way my mom always did it." So they called great grandma and and they said, "You know, great grandma, we had this pork dinner. Grandma said that she learned it from you." Um you know, that you cut off both ends. And we were just wondering, why did you cut off both ends? And, and great grandma said, well, you know, I didn't have a pan big enough to fit the pork in. So I always cut off both ends. So it fit in the pan. And that's the way I always right. did it. And, you know, the, the moral of the story is we just learn things as, as a church and, and we do things as a church and we call that part of our tradition. And one of the reasons why it's part of our tradition is that's the way we've always done it. And we don't necessarily ask, why do we do it that way? And where does this tradition come from? And is it serving our community or are we doing it just for the sake of tradition? Yeah, I do like that story. I don't know if you heard it from me or not, though. But uh, I heard a couple of other stories. One is a Peter Allen story where he he tells a story of a, a community of monks where they they go to do some contemplative prayer. But this one monk has this cat that's really kind of obnoxious and like jumping all over him all the time. So they tie it to the tree next to them so they can pray. Well, then that that monk dies, and so the people continue to tie the the cat to the tree when they pray. Then the cat dies; they can, they get a new cat, so they can tie it to the tree. <laughs> then the tree dies, so they plant another tree, so they can tie the cat up to the tree for prayer. And then you know, generations go on, and people write these long theological treatise, treatises about the significance of the tree and the cat, and they forget why it all started in the first place. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, same very same exact story. For the same reason, sometimes we just do things and we don't think about it. And uh, or on the other side, look, it was to solve a problem. Yeah. Yep. The reason the the pork got cut in half, it was just a problem. Or the way the reason that you had the need <laughs> to put the cat away was it was solving a problem. And uh, the, when that becomes the focus of doing it that way versus meeting a need or a challenge that's in front of you. I mean, at some point, somebody decided to do that, and uh, we should give ourselves permission to decide to do things. And another thing of asking why do we change is this nostalgic, idealistic version of the church. When we did things in 1953, this is the way that the church ran, and if we did things now like we did in 1953, then the church would be alive and booming again and everybody would be happy, where in fact, when we look back on our lives or on our church or our family or, or whatnot, we have this idealistic version of what that was. We don't, we, a lot of times we remember the good parts right. and not necessarily the bad parts, and, but also our world has changed significantly since 1953, so we, there's no way we can do things like that anymore and, and really um, be successful. Um, so... So we have this this nostalgia of how things used to be, and only if we can go back the way that it was, and then everything would be fine when that really isn't the truth. That's right. So the next question is, shouldn't the church just take care of its own? No, we're the ones that pay for all this stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. We can't invite others in unless we are a perfect congregation. We need to take care of our own first, and then we can take care of others. Or you're welcome to join in as long as you pay up. Right. Yeah. I don't know if we said this earlier, but I think you mentioned it. It's one of those things that's like 
the church exists for the people that aren't there yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's a hard thing to really grasp. And and I've seen it over and over again in, in many different churches where a lot of the folks that go just want their own needs met. And yeah, if you ask me to help out this particular group, I'll, I'll throw $25, $50 towards your way so you can go help them, but I'm not going to go help them because I'm here for me. A lot of the more non-denominational churches make it about individuals, and I think that has really perpetuated itself into our own you know, congregations where we are a community-based congregation, you know, and we, we really lift up the assembly, we really lift up each other, we're here to support each other, where you have you know, some other other churches that say, well, this is not about the community, this is about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and everything that is taught, everything that is sung, everything that is preached, it's about you making sure you have the strongest relationship with God and not necessarily about the community. Exactly. All right, number six, this is my favorite one. Who moved, Who moved my, my cheese? cheese? <laughs> Who moved my cheese? Did you move my cheese? <laughs> I did. Sorry about that. Oh, oh no problem. <laughs> so there's a book that's probably 20 years old at least, and it was it was used in corporate America. It's not a religious book, but it um, it's about these two mice that get stuck in a, in a maze, and they find cheese. They sent the mice back in, in another time, and they find the cheese again. Finally, they, they put them in there a third time, and cheese is missing. And one of the, there's different versions of the story, but the easiest version of, of the story is, is one of the mice decides to go looking for new cheese, and the other, uh, the other mouse decides to stay and wait for cheese. And of course, that one is just going to stay there and die. Mm-hmm. But usually when you say, who moved my cheese, it's, it's about um, kind of like your turf and, you know, don't you dare touch my thing. We can change, but as long as it doesn't affect me, then maybe that'll be okay. Right. Recently, I used this image with my some of my leaders, and I, I might mention it sermon too. But I feel like lately, like if you took a a bowl or a pail, a bucket full of super balls, you know those really bouncy, small rubber balls. Yep. You used to be able to get them out of like a little dispenser at the end of the checkout line. Yep. Yep. Or the kind that are on the end of those paddle boards on a rubber band, then you can play tennis with yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, yeah. those balls. Put a put a bunch of them in one one source and you think about the energy that's involved when you dump them on the floor. And it seems like everything just goes in totally different directions. But if they collide, they really bounce off in further directions. And I think sometimes we are we operate as small independent reactionary groups rather than taking the resource or common goal or mission together to really put it to use for the for the collective for the whole and so we get into these little little wars about why you're touching my stuff right and and a lot of times and going along with that you know and and i think goes along to your point is we have kind of our own pet projects in ministry right so people come up and say well i'm really passionate about animals so i'm going to do this animal ministry and i'm going to collect all of these things for a lo- local pet shelter, and and I'm going to ask people to donate money so I can buy all of this stuff for pets. And then you have someone else over here that says, well, I really, you know, like the ELCA world hunger, so I'm going to try to raise enough money to buy a cow for a third world country, and, and then maybe a goat and some chickens, and I'm going to get involved with Sunday school, and we're going to do this project, and we're going to collect money. So, we're going in all these different directions that may tie into one another, but really they're separate projects, and people just get so torn because they said, well, I want to support this, but I want to support this. And, and But then, you know, pastors talking about going and, and serving in the food shelter, and, and really, you know, we're like these individual bouncy balls that are trying to make our way forward, but if we all come together and say, well, this is what God is calling us to do, and this is going to be the focus for our ministry and mission, you know, we can utilize that energy and be propelled even further, I think, instead of trying to do our, our own thing. Absolutely. There's always a line you can draw, too, because there's stuff that you do as a person, and there's stuff that I do as a person that might not be the same thing that the church should do. Right, right. 
I mean, I'm I'm running in this. Well, run, I'm walking, but I'm in this marathon in a week. Yeah, but that's not the church's project. That's that's I'm doing that. Yep. And people can be supportive if they want to, but I don't want to make it the just thing just because I'm doing it. I right. Know, I was fine. There's a little bit of a gray area there, but I think because sometimes you need to drive the things that help people think about what they're doing. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, both of us have participated in Reach the Beach the last few years, and that's a great ministry, and it's tied yeah, into you know what we do, and we support our outdoor ministry, Camp Calumet in, in New Hampshire, and it, it's a wonderful thing and a wonderful organization, bringing tons and tons of people together. But that's kind of our thing, and our churches know about it, and some people support it, but it's not a huge thing. It's not a focus of our ministry year-round. Uh, it's something that comes up and we say, hey, we're doing this. If you want to support it, great. If not, that's fine, too. I mean, the longer I'm here, we've tried to get more use out of Calumet as a congregation. So when we, when I do do this, because I've been doing this for years now with Reach the Beach, it, it can become more of our project, but it certainly started that way. It was my thing I did, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's always a, a little bit of a, a line you're trying to find, but I yep. think everybody can kind of think about that. What are your pet projects? Is that the church's project? Does it fit in the church's mission or not? You know, what might it take away from or bump up against? I mean, we can, and this is my thing about individual reactionary groups, is sometimes you react to something else that somebody's doing, and it's positive. Yeah. It strengthens what you're doing, or it it helps you, you know, it gives you synergy to do something new. And that's great, But and you want to cultivate that, but sometimes it, it becomes... Um, competitive and that's certainly not what we're trying to do right no we're not Where it feels like you're you're infring, you're infringing on my stuff you know right 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 again it's the wrong question why why are you doing that assuming that it's a negative reason yeah you're moving my cheese because you're trying to take it from me basically right 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 so the next question is what about the wallpaper Man, oh man, Joe, I tell you, so many conversations are about the wallpaper. <laughs> what does that mean? You mean actual wallpaper? No, I mean the stuff that anybody outside of the room could really care less about. And I think <laughs> church, churches get consumed by those things. Yes. We have to talk about this, and we got to spend all kinds of energy on it, and we have to make a conflicted decision about it. And, you know, and then you, you look at it, if you just take like two steps back to wonder if anybody outside cares or should even care about that. And it, it seems like most of the time the answer is no. And then you think, okay, then why are, we, why are we expending this much energy on this? Now, some things you have to take care of. I'm not saying don't take care of business because you got to do that too. But my classic example is the group that, you know, needs me in the room so they can decide if they're going to have chicken or ham. I mean, the point is we're going right. to have lunch right and i'm I'll, and i'll be there and be happy to be there but this this is taking up too much energy just somebody go buy the food <laughs> and it's one of those one of those things where uh i think i think i've heard one time you know i just went to another meeting that should have been an email oh yeah oh man aren't most of them yeah yeah so I've been calling these kind of wallpaper conversations for a while. Cause one, because I think nobody has wallpaper anymore. So that's right. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah, think yeah. the the other way to talk about it might be to say, if only we had more beige. Okay. Maybe we should argue about shades of beige. <laughs> in, the, in the end. Oh man, it doesn't matter. It does. And that's the thing. It, you know, we, we talk about some, some of these things and, and for you or for me, you know, we, we like the idea of uh, a certain thing and we say, yeah, I trust you enough to take care of the details. I don't need to know those details. If, if there's something really big that needs to happen or change, obviously come and talk to me about it. But like you said, I don't need to know the specific beige of, of <laughs> the <laughs> wallpaper or whether we're going to have ham or chicken at the lunch that we're serving. Like that's you know, what we do is what we do. But, uh, and if I have opinion on it, you know, I'll let you know. But if not, I, I really don't think it's necessary to, to have a, a two and a half hour meeting talking about a specific beige tone to the wallpaper. Beige wallpaper. Could there be anything worse? <laughs> oh, man. Just close uh, the whole thing down if you're putting up beige <laughs> wallpaper. Right, 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 right. But it's not even just, just us. I mean, we get annoyed by that stuff, you know, like, why are you talking to me about it? But really, would anybody outside of the church care about that? Right. 
Right. That's that's the that's your standard. If the answer is no, then give it up. Yeah, yeah. And I and what our synod, so our synod, the New England synod, has this this group called for leadership. And my church took a, a part in it, and many others have over the last few years. And one of the activities that we did in this for leadership is really talking about our our mode of, of operation as as church leaders. You know, there are some church leaders who, who are like really action oriented and, and really just want to go for it and and do it and, and try things and be successful and fail. And then there are some who really just need to take their time and, and really hash out every detail and, and just take it slower. And then there's people kind of in the middle. And when you talk about the color of wallpaper over and over again and really hash out those details, those people who are really go-getters, who have the energy and, and enthusiasm, they start to get frustrated. Yep. And then they start to fade away because they just yep. cannot take those conversations anymore. You know, it's one of those things, why does it matter? Let's just go and do it. And, you know, if we need to change the color, then we need to change the color and, and we can adapt. So I, I, I think there you got to find that balance of, really appeasing those people who want to move forward and go, but also, you know, appeasing some of those people who, who do need to hash things out a little bit and, and find, you know, a happy medium, which is really, really hard to do. It is. You've tapped into the very next question. So we should just go there is why can't we all just get along? Can't we just agree on everything and every, you know, sing Kumbaya <laughs> and stand in a circle, hold hands and have the rainbows touch us and stuff? Wouldn't that be good? Right, yeah, yeah. But Jeff, have you ever been a part of any organization, whether a church or others, where just everybody gets along all the time? Usually after I leave, I think, is that <laughs> <laughs> No, I think um, one, human nature prevents that from ever actually being possible. But two, I, I think, honestly, that is a lot of people's goal is that we should all just get along and it should all just be fine. When one, it's not realistic that it's even possible, but two, it curtails doing anything meaningful. Right. Yeah. Because this one can't do that or refuses to do that. And this one can't do the opposite or refuses to do the opposite. So, so in order to, you even use the word appease them in order to appease them, you meet somewhere in the middle and then you end up doing nothing. Right. Right. This actually goes back to question number five. Shouldn't the church just take care of its own? There there are some folks who say, you know, well, Thelma isn't happy about this decision, so we need to make sure, you know, she doesn't want to go out and, and serve at this festival as the church because the church never did that before, and she thinks it's it's a waste of money. So we need to make sure we take, take care of Thelma and make sure she's happy instead of doing this because she's part of our church and she's important. Well, yeah, Thelma is important, but it's okay if she doesn't agree with it. It doesn't mean she needs to be upset. It doesn't mean she needs to leave the church. It doesn't mean she needs to stop giving or whatever. Um, there are some things that, that Thelma's not going to be happy with. There are some things that Harry's not going to be happy with, and it, it's all okay. We don't need to get all get along all the time. Yeah, and I think we're afraid of the conflict that it could potentially generate, even if it is about wallpaper. And yep. so we get held hostage from moving forward, especially when it's a decision that you could easily make before it's a, mis a decision you have to make. Right. And I always think buildings are probably the easiest example of that. You, it would have been easier to try to raise the money to fix X, Y, or Z, you name it, when, it, when you were in a position to say, all right, it needs some maintenance versus now it's it's broken and we didn't take care of it for 30 years and we got to do it now or we can't even open the building up. And then it's a crisis right. Yeah, because, you know, a few people didn't want to raise the money or think it was, think it was too expensive. And the other people thought it would be fine. Or, you know, while somebody else is saying, look, come on people, we really have to fix this. We get held up too, too easily because we back out too easily because we think the goal is harmony. The goal is not harmony. The goal is forward progress. Yeah. Right. And to to do that, you have to you have to make tough decisions sometimes. Yep. And um, you don't want to steamroll people either. I'm not suggesting that. But you know, you can listen, you can talk about it, you can make a decision, and you can live with it. 
and you know if you need to change the decision then you need to change the decision too but right and i think the difference in steamrolling someone is is saying this is a decision that's it we're not going to talk about it instead you can say this is a decision that we have made here are three reasons why we have made this decision and i'd be happy to talk to you about it you know why we have made this decision but that you know appeases and gives people an opportunity to voice their concerns or voice their happiness of the decision uh mostly you get the concerns or or whatever but and you can still make forward progress you know people's voices can be heard you can honor those and recognize those um but also with the understanding that the decision has been made and these are the reasons why yeah and going back to other questions we've talked about the change one especially i mean this is why surveys are generally a bad idea yeah because they're not a conversation it's usually just a statement of what you believe the status quo is you don't want to work on right Right. I don't I don't want to change this. I've expressed my opinion and how dare you go against it <laughs> after I've told you what I think. Right. Right. Because that's why we did the survey, right? So I could tell tell the group how to do it. But let's no. There's different ways to get input from people and actually talking to them and listening to them talk and then explaining this is what our actual goal is. Can you help us get there? Yep. Yep. That's a different situation totally. Yep. But yep. Yeah, I think uh, the quest for harmony is a mistake. And um, I know I have fallen into it many, many times. And then you see it happening and you go, ah, this is where I made a misstep. Yep. All right, number nine. We are almost there. We have two more questions left. So number nine. We're getting there. This is a big one. This is a big one. The thing is, Joe, no matter no matter what you say, I disagree. <laughs> Why are you being so political? Am I? <laughs> well, I, I am, you know, I, you have said something that I disagree with, and I know that, you know, you're talking about what Jesus said, but really what you're talking about is being uh, very political, and you're making commentary about the state of the politics and the, the country, um, and I just don't agree with that, and I think you should stop saying that, because it, it really makes me upset. Yep. <laughs> And that's how you handle it. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's, that's it, isn't it? Well, I think here's the problem. So the problem is people think politically or they think in our either-or kind of way about politics. And because they adhere to one side or the other, they automatically believe no matter what the other side says, even if it was their own position recently, it must be wrong. You know, so if if someone else is standing there telling you something that is from a different perspective, they must be wrong or they must be telling you that you are wrong. And the reality is, well, we don't we don't have a. I mean, we have people all over the place. Yep. there's there's no Lutheran political angle The other than to say we start at the cross. So that's the viewpoint we take. You know, we we believe in. Um, this this Jesus who was trying to usher in a different way of living, being, interacting with people, valuing people in a way that really upset the status quo by people that were in charge and also got him crucified at the hands of the state, which is a political act. And so you got to kind of dissect that a little bit. And so, all right, if if you're starting there and if Jesus's message was about valuing people and including people and forgiving people and feeding people and picking up where the prophets did about, you know, caring for the, the stranger in your midst and the, the most vulnerable people, then when people aren't doing that, you need to say something. Or you have to say, this is what our calling is to do that, so let's do something about it. And because it gets framed, so then you can say, all right, so then what impact does that have on our politics? This is our message. What impact does that have on our politics? But the response is usually you're just being political. Right, right. And it's usually because I disagree because I have a different political viewpoint. So you, it's, it gets you, – you try to frame it in a particular way, which is we, we frame things from the perspective of the cross to the world, you know, trying to think about what the kingdom of God looks like on this side of things. And, and how can we align ourselves with what God's up to? But when you're going to frame it in a totally different way, an either-or, an in or an out, I mean, that's what Jesus was trying to break down, actually. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, but, but that's the way people frame stuff. So you gotta, 
so that's what you got to work on, I think. And then if you if you can break down the walls, because isn't that there's that great verse from Ephesians, you know, breaking down the dividing walls between us. If you can break down those walls and say, what what is it about Jesus that changes our our view on everything? Now, how are we going to live in the world? How are we going to interact with power? How are we going to interact with the the people that get just stomped on constantly? You know, what are we going to do with, with those systems that are in place and, and are unjust? Um, and it's not just about electing a different person or, or saying that that party got it wrong. I mean, the reality is everybody gets it wrong. That's why we're human and sinful and broken. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, we don't have the answers ourselves. The, the political question is, how do we solve the problems? And the reality is, we can't. So what hope do we have? And it's to work from this this other, as it is in heaven, so it will be on earth. Your will be done stuff that we can we can try to promote, talk about, think about, confront people with. And to go back to the last question, that usually doesn't bring harmony. No, no, it doesn't. And, and there's, there's an assumption that if you talk about a specific political talking point, even though it's related to the gospel and you don't mes- mention, you know, politics in it, it's assumed that that's what you're talking about, you know. And if you, you speak against, you know, the authority that's in the world, you, it's, it's just because, you know, you are this particular person. But like you said, it, it, it really just is about the gospel and it's about what Jesus is is calling us to do generally and it's not about the politics. But you're right, it is it is a difficult thing to, you know, to talk about and and to mention it and I didn't you find a, a quote that that really spoke to this at some to some degree? I thought it was in Christ and culture and probably it Niebuhr's probably got something on this, but the the smaller soundbite I was looking for is is Martin Luther King and the church needs to be the conscience for society really it's so that means whoever's in power that's not just my guy is in so things are good and now your guy's in so things are bad the church is not the state and the state is not the church but that doesn't mean they don't mix or they shouldn't interact that of course they do you know if we're going to be people that aren't going to hide but be active in the world of course you're going to you're going to clash with the other values of society right yeah, but if we can be the the voice that says, you know, God values all people, period, and this is how it looks like in this particular situation, as this particular person is being devalued and dehumanized and treated like garbage, and didn't we do that to Jesus? Yep. I mean, that's really yep. Yep. What side are you on here? Are you on the side of of trying to belittle people and and treat them like like they they aren't worth anything, or are you trying to be on the side of of the one who who died for us in that regard to to show us another way to live. And then you can have a conversation, but it just seems the way things are so charged, it just it, it makes it almost impossible. Yeah, and and I really like that quote, you know, the conscious of society and I think that somebody needs to be the conscious of society and if it if it's not the church, then who is it going to be? You know, I really been associated with with uh, some of these service clubs. Uh, I'm a Rotarian the last few years, and and I think that they do great things. You know, for not only for communities but the world, um, and and that's really wonderful. But my work at, in the church and our work in the church is is completely different. You know, it, it is standing up for the injustices. It's not just doing good things to, to make the world a better place, which is needed as well. But it is, you know, being the voice of the voiceless. It's standing up for those who cannot stand up for themselves and reminding people, you know, that, that there there are certain things that need to be done when we talk about how we interact with, with other people, with our fellow person. So, And if that is being political, then yeah, it is. Right, right. Right. Um, that, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's partisan or it's it's the way that we frame politics on which cable channel you watch. Right. Uh, the danger is, I think, most of the time, honestly, because of the why don't we all get along question, we don't want to deal with this question at all. Because we just think it's too hard. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, you think, OK, well, why why does the church seem irrelevant in society and it's because we've made it that way 
Right. Now, the opposite of that, of course, is just running around with your hair on fire, if you had any, um, <laughs> over every little thing, right? You know, that everything is is a catastrophe, and then you're just a siren that's it's the loud, clashing symbol without love <laughs> yeah. that Paul talks about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you have to kind of work on it, I mean, to find where the line is because you've got to, and maybe it's not a line. It's, it's the way, because you got to think about what's, what's the goal here. If your goal is to, to just destroy somebody because of the way they think or operate or vote or something like that. Well, anybody can do that. I mean, that's why there's so many cable shows, but if, if your goal is to help nudge them a little bit, just to see the world in a different way, because I think Jesus does give us a different way to look at the world. I don't think it's just a political program. I mean, the kingdom of God is not an institution. It's a it's it's a totally new operating system. And if you could just open that up a little bit so people can catch a glimpse of it, it really could change them in in a good good way. And change you in the process too. Yep. I mean, we all need we all need it for sure. I have a a colleague who I think he's retired now, but for most of his career, most of his his career as a pastor, he had a certain viewpoint about the LGBTQ community. And he wasn't in agreement that, not, not necessarily that they shouldn't be involved in church, but he thought that they shouldn't be involved in leadership, and they certainly shouldn't be pastors. And so after 2009, when, when the ELCA voted that pastors could preside at same-gender monogamous uh, marriages, and that pastors could be gay or lesbian and and be pastors in the ELCA um, and, and be in relationships, uh, he was very upset about that. Uh, but what he did is, and, and this was somewhat uh, related to his politics, um, but this is also somewhat related to change and, you know, a few of, of the other things that we've talked about. But what he did, instead of just saying, this is my viewpoint and I'm going to be um, holding on to this viewpoint, and anybody that disagrees with me is wrong, and I'm going to fight you until the nth degree. He said, well, this is what, what the church has said, and I want to understand this a little better. So he gathered a, a number of folks together to have conversations. And he he was really honest about how hard it was for him, but he was open to the conversations. And after an, a number of, of conversations um, over a few months, he started to change his viewpoint. He started to open himself and say, well, this is a different way that I'm viewing Scripture. This is a different way that I'm viewing the Church and how the Church operates. And, you know, I don't think his political viewpoint changed too much, but he saw that it wasn't in disagreement with his theology, and uh, he was able to accept that, which was which was a really honorable thing f- for me to witness how this all came about, because I think it is easy for us to say, this is my viewpoint, I'm going to hold on to this, and anybody that disagrees with me is wrong. But I have seen when people open their hearts and their minds and have these conversations that are not just arguments, but really in-depth conversations, and there might be some arguments in there, um, because we're passionate about what we believe, but but with an understanding that that we're just speaking from our hearts and our experiences and you know we can really truly make a difference. Yeah, and I think I, th- I think of the folks that went through something similar to that, but it didn't come out that way. Right. And sometimes people just they leave. Yep. Um, well, I've had plenty which, of those experiences as well. <laughs> I, I I have too, and it it always hurts. What hurts about it is you think. You can kind of see, all right, I see where they're coming from, and I, and I hope they see where I'm coming from, but you're not sure. But it's the it's the space between those things that seems to win out over the relationship. And that's the part that I get really sad about yep. when it goes that way. Yep. To my point as well, you know, he was able to open his heart and, and for those conversations, and but I think... I need to be open as well, you know. Even though I, I, that's right. I really that's disagree, right. and I, uh, I, I'm going to open myself and say maybe this is a possibility, and I'm going to listen and pray and ponder. And I'm not just going to be saying, "Well, you need to open your heart and your mind," and I'm going to have my opinion, and I, you're going to listen to my opinion until you do, you agree with it. That's not how it needs right. to be operated. It, right. it, you both, in, in order to have that conversation, and you need to be open to it. But like you said, 
it doesn't always happen that way. You know, I have had folks who, who vehemently disagree with, you know, some of the points that I have made and some of the points that the ELCA has made and, and they have left. And I'm very sad about that. You know, I'm, I'm because I, I have said to, to other, even pastors who, who we disagree with, even though we disagree about certain things, we still can be in relationship and we still can be in ministry together and we can honor those, those viewpoints and still, still work together. And, and I've been told numerous times, no, that's not possible. And that makes me sad. We're down to our last question. Shouldn't someone else do that? No. <laughs> I think so many times we think either it's somebody else's responsibility or that, um, you know, backup is coming. I think if we just look at it from the perspective of we're the ones who are here. God has sent us. No one else is coming. If you're not going to do it, no one will. And maybe that's not true in some cases, but I think if we approach things with that kind of urgency, it would make a huge difference. So does that mean you're telling me that when there are starving children in our community, someone else, I mean, I think someone else should feed them because we shouldn't be doing that. We're a church. Right, exactly. (laughs) If you don't like having people go hungry, then you got to get out there and start feeding people. Yeah. That's it. And not only that, I mean, to get to the political question, too. I mean, what if you could work on the systems that are are putting people in that position in the first place? Right, right. And some, some, let's be honest, some are kind of self-imposed. They made bad decisions and, you know, kinds of things. But there are also systemic things that keep people in poverty that don't need to be there. And if we could uh, open some barriers up, maybe people would have more opportunities to to be able to support themselves but but in the meantime you know there's that old thing uh you know give give a child a fish they they eat for a day and fe- teach them how to fish they can eat for a lifetime yep but teach them how to fish when they're hungry that's not going to work no right 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 feed them then teach them how to fish yeah exactly exactly yeah we we both you and I have done some work with the ELC World Hungry especially within our synod and I had the fortune of going to an advocacy um, conference earlier this year, and it just blew my mind on the power that we have and the influence we as a church can have on some of these policies, especially when it comes to hunger issues and food injustice. And uh, there's a large vote coming up in Congress this summer about SNAP benefits, and what we did in, at this conference is it was in Washington, D.C., and we actually went to our uh, senators and our representatives um, and talked to them about how we, as the ELCA, don't think that SNAP benefits should go to a block grant, but it should be fully funded. And I had the fortune of be- talking with uh, you know my representatives who, who were on board with that, but some people didn't um have that fortune and they talked to representatives who who vehemently disagreed with them and told them why but we we were able to share our story as the elca and our personal stories of why some of these things are so vitally important to the people that we serve and one of the viewpoints for some of these these congress folks is that oh feeding the hungry that's the church's job we shouldn't do that that's their job and you know, one of the messages was, well, we're Band-Aid, you know, for some of these folks. You know, we, we can open up a food pantry, but, you know, we don't really have the resources to have that uh, person, uh, to talk to that person about how they can change the systemic hunger in their life or, or joblessness or whatever the issue is. So uh, shouldn't someone else do it? Well, no, we should all be doing it. We should all play our part in in doing what what uh, is best for our community. And again, rather than shifting the responsibility or blame or however you want to deal with it, who's, whose job is it? Question. If it's everybody's job, we can all do a better job of it. Right. Yep. I mean, can't, can't we have some secular groups do a good job at, at working on some of these problems? Absolutely. Uh, probably probably resource better than we are, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it too. Right. Or we could ally together to make it better. I remember working at this one soup kitchen on a mission trip I was on, and the I was talking to the director of it. He says, you know, we got a lot of people that come through here. 
uh, to help. And we get a lot of support from a lot of different places. But I always love when church groups come because they get why. Mm. And they do the work joyfully. They're not just trying to do a job or, and not that people that aren't people of faith can't enjoy it, but I always thought that was kind of a neat thing. So it's like, okay, so that we, we can add to it. We might not have the best resources. We not, may not have the best programs, but if we can partner with those who, who do to kind of work on some of these problems, we can bring some, some joy along with us and that could, that could permeate all the things we do together. Yep. Wow. So these are, uh, I think 10, critical questions that we hear all of the time in our churches, and we hear much more than this, but I think that they uh, really represent, you know, a lot of what we hear as church leaders. And like you said, I don't think that they are necessarily the right questions. Uh, So as church leaders, we can work towards reframing some of these. And so when we are asked a, a question, why can't we be like X church? You know, then we could talk about our mission and our identity and and our idea of community and our theology and and say, well, we can't be like that that church. But here's the the question: What is our mission and identity, and and how how do we best serve the community as our church? And and what are some of the gifts and talents that we can bring from our church community into uh, the world? So. Yeah, Jeff, thank you for for bringing this up, and thank you for uh, taking the lead on on creating some of these questions. Yeah, I think there certainly it's a flawed list. I think some of them could probably be grouped together maybe, and people probably have others to add to it. But uh, these are some of the things, like you said, that we've been kind of talking about and thinking about. I mean, especially, you know, you talk about the survival jealousy, you know, who are we kind of missional questions. Um, I think some of the change questions uh, behind those, there's always fear, you know, why can't we keep things the way they are? But again, if you've got a clear vision of what you're trying to accomplish, that should be what's driving anything you do. I mean, the goal is not to keep, keep things going. The the goal should be to, uh, to be proactive and to, to be, you know, working on some of these things that we see going on in our world. And of course those, the challenges might be the same, but they, they change size, scope, context matters. You know, you need to be engaged, I guess, is where I'm going with it. Is If you're engaged, you're working on towards how you can be responsive and proactive to, to meet some of these challenges versus just how do we preserve what we've got going on because we like it or that was the way we used to do it. Right, right, right. And to be engaged means you're in the world and the world is a messy place and, um, not everybody agrees and uh, on how to how to be engaged or even if they should be engaged. I don't know. I think the we, we talk a lot about church decline and what that looks like and why it's always such a negative thing. But on the, the same token, I mean, we're still the church and the church has something to give that you're not going to get anywhere else. Yep. And if we can harness that new life that Jesus brings into not only us as individuals, but us into these communities and realize that's what we're about. Then we really can be the, you know, the light of the world and the city up on the hill and the, you know, the light that comes out from underneath the basket and, and people go, ah, that's what I've been missing. Yep. But uh, too often we're, we're in this deficit place, like you mentioned, and that, uh, that prevents us from even, even trying. So I hope anybody listening out there that you are uh, trying to work on these things, same things and know that you have allies and the two of us trying to work on some of these things. And it's, uh, you know, it's stressful. It's hard. It's difficult. Some days you just want to throw the towel in, but uh, at the same time, this is really important work that we, we can share together and, and help each other out on. So, so hang in there and uh, we'll, we'll try to hang in there too. If you have your own questions, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, twobaldpastors.com, and you can find this episode and just ask your own question. Uh, If you have a question that you hear and and you would like help in reframing it, we we would love to help you in that process. So uh, please reach out to us and let us know what you think, either on our website or on our Facebook. Twobaldpastors.com is our website. And our Facebook is facebook.com backslash two bald pastors. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode 
Uh, we are the two bald pastors helping you connect your faith with your life. I'm Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. Have a great day and be blessed. I disagree. Just kidding. <laughs> they might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors.